God, we just thank you for your greatness, Lord. God, even in your greatness, you sought to show mercy, Lord, to us. And while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And so, Lord, I just pray as we come to this moment where we take a look into your word, God, that we would just be honest with ourselves and evaluate, God, where we are with you. And God, that we would just be willing to align ourselves into your will and to your way. And we pray, saying in Christ's name. better when it's up here, doesn't it? Hold on. Y'all don't close your eyes for just a minute. We need a moment. Any day now, Josh. Hey. Nope. There we go. Well, good morning. That's what I get for taking it off my head, isn't it? Well, it's great to see you guys today. And if you are watching or listening online, thank you for joining in with us today. How many of you would like something that would change your life? Okay, Cindy, about seven of us, that's good. That was more than the second service. There was me and one other person. Uh, Cindy and I watch a TV station at night, and one particular station, at least 10 times this commercial comes on, that you can buy these pills, and you take this one pill, and you'll get all of your vegetables for the day. Now, for a guy who likes donuts a lot more than broccoli, that got my attention. And then you take the second pill, and you get all your vegetables for the day, or your fruit for the day. So you got vegetables, fruit, and for a guy who likes ice cream more than grapefruit, I looked this stuff up because I would thought, my goodness, I can eat whatever I want, take two pills and have all the fruits and the vegetables and everything, the good with that. Well, you've got to take like 84 pills a day, twice a day. And of course, it's $900 a month, something like that. And I'm exaggerating that a little bit, obviously. But the, the reviews on it were, well, it's really not that great in the long run. So disappointed once again at something that was going to be life-changing. Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 4 today, if you have a Bible. If you don't, the scriptures will be on the screen. Ephesians, we were in Ephesians 1, we're going to go back to 2, we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but Ephesians 4, uh, God was writing the, the, the book of Ephesians through Paul, and the, the, church, the church, he was writing to a church or maybe several churches in Ephesus, and they, uh, they were in an interesting environment. They, they were the vast minority. I mean, they, they, there was 300,000 people in this area, and the, most of them were not Christians. There wasn't multiple churches that you, you had to pick from, so you got this one church. There must have been some internal things in the church that were causing some, some issues and some things that they needed to address and to deal with, like in any church. And so these people, man, they needed a word that was going to encourage them, they needed to be told, here's how you do church rightly, and here's how you do things at your home rightly. Here's how you do things in your family rightly and in your business rightly. And if you do these six things, we, you get a hold of these six things mentally and, and personally today, they really have the potential to change, to change our lives and to change the, the environment and the world that we're in. Here's the first thing. Remember who you belong to. Now, if you're not a Christian... 
we want more than anything else you to give your life to Christ today because you've got to have Christ in you to live these things out. And so the neat thing for you today could be to see this is what Christianity is about. This is, this is who Christians are. And as a Christian, you are somebody that belongs to God. In verse 1, it says this. Remember, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, that, that first part of it there, he says a prisoner. Now, he was under house arrest at Rome at the time. And he, God wrote through him four letters we call the prison epistles or the prison letters to Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And he is, uh, he's under house arrest. And we're going to look at a different angle of this in a moment, but the different English translations, I looked at 15 different English translations as well as the, the, the Greek language that was originally written in today, and they, they, eight of the different English translations translate this first part differently, and, and that Greek doesn't give a real sense of it, but it says here in the NIV, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. We're going to see that in a moment, but some of the other major translations say, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, and that is small but that's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. Paul, again, he's under house arrest. He's in Rome. A lot of scholars believe that he was chained to a praetorium guard 24 hours, seven days a week. A praetorium guard for the Roman army is like a Green Beret or a Navy SEAL. And you think, I want you to think about this today. If you were chained to someone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, how long would it take you to gnaw your wrist off? to get away I mean Paul had some freedom but everything he did was involved with that person when you are a prisoner in the truest sense of the word you're under somebody else's control how many of you remember Aaron Hernandez you remember that name Aaron Hernandez was a professional football player multi-millionaire famous 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 he got brought in on a murder charge he was convicted of murder he was sentenced to life in prison and he killed himself in prison but one of the things I remember after he was arrested man this guy had a beautiful home he's making millions of dollars a year he was at fame and fortune when he went to prison or when he went to jail and they said you're our guy we are arresting you and you are not leaving so he basically is a, a ward of that jail at that point and he asked the guy that was was taking questions from him, he goes can I go get something to drink and that guy said to this multi-millionaire famous athlete no sir you belong to us right now we'll tell you when you can eat and we'll tell you when you can get something to drink the church where I met Cindy where I pastored down in this part of Texas, there were two big prisons right outside. In fact, I met Cindy. She was in prison, and I was doing some chaplain work, and I met her there. That's just a joke. And, uh, and so we had a lot of people in our church that had worked for the prisons and some who had stayed there free of charge. Are you with me? Uh, so, we, so I learned a whole lot about prisons. Here's what I learned about a, a, a medium to a maximum security prison is this. You are told when you get up. You're told when you get up. You are told when you go to breakfast. You don't have a multi-menu for breakfast. You have what is laid before you. You are told what you do from breakfast to lunch. Then you are told when you go to lunch. Then you're told what you do from lunch to supper. Then you're told when you eat supper and what you eat for supper. Then you're told 
what you do till bedtime. Then you're told when lights go out. Then you're told when you get to shower once or twice a week. You're also told there's a perimeter around this place. And if you get outside of that perimeter, you'll be getting to meet Jesus quicker than you thought you were going to get to meet Jesus. One thing I learned about being in a prison is, man, you were under the complete control of the prison system and the warden. And Paul says, I am a prisoner of the Lord. You may think that's a bad picture. Man, it's a beautiful picture to Paul. You know what he was saying? I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus. Jesus dictates and controls my life. Hey, you want to know something that will change your world? Let Jesus run your world. Let him be in charge. To many of listen, we're not going to, we like Jesus a lot. We're just not going to let him mess our life up, right? I mean, if we want to do something that kind of goes against his word, we're going to do it. If we, you know, we got something better to do on Sundays instead of being in God's house. And we, this is for people who prep, profess to be Christians. We're going to do it. But Paul said, no, no, no. You want to change your life? Don't forget when you gave your life to Jesus, if you really did, you became in a beautiful sense a prisoner of the Lord. You belong to God and don't forget that's what he said here's the second thing that goes with that knowing listen when when, when you decide you're going to live for Christ it's going to cost you you go well it's not cost me anything maybe because you're not really living for him but when you really live for Christ it's going to cost you it's going to cost me here's the second understanding of this first part of this verse as a prisoner for the Lord Paul's in prison. Why is Paul in prison? Why is he under house arrest? Why is he eventually going to have his head cut off? I mean, did they have like a party one night at their new church and they drank too much communion wine and got wild and something bad happened? Paul's in prison for preaching Jesus. Paul's in prison because he said, Jesus is Lord. And listen, in this day and age, the Caesar, the king, was considered the Lord. And for you to say that Jesus is Lord, not the king, that was considered political insurrection in a real sense. Paul's in prison because he preached Jesus. I believe this with all my heart. I really do. I'm not trying to be scary or prophetic. I'm, I, I believe this. If America does not make some turns, we are in danger of making what we're doing here illegal in 20 years. We really are. Now, they may let us worship. We just won't be able to say certain things. And if I say something that's wrong to the government, I may end up in jail and you need to bring me chocolate pies, right? I know how y'all are. Well, I didn't say it. He did. Get him. I'm just teasing. But in parts of the world, that's reality right now. It has always been. Outreach Magazine is a magazine. I get an article from it every day. It's a religious magazine. And two weeks ago, pastor in China convicted of, of uh, crimes against the state eight years in prison you know what for preaching the gospel and taking up offerings organized religion wow they got a letter I'm sure the son adult son gave it to the magazine that the, the dad that the pastor had written the, the son and said hey I I want to be out I don't want to be here but but number one I'm not pulling back from Jesus and number two I have the greatest peace you can ever imagine sitting here in the prison because I know I'm in God's will 
may cost you someday. Are you willing to go to jail for Jesus? But here's the thing for us. Right now, it's just more social. It may cost you some friends. And listen, I've been on the other side of Christ, so what I'm fixing to tell you, I know is true. You follow Jesus, you'll never lose a true friend. You may lose some acquaintances, but when I got saved, every friend I had was lost, and all but one was still my friend a year later. But you'll have people pull away from you. You you may lose some opportunities because you follow Jesus. When you say Jesus is going to be my Lord and and that I'm 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 a prisoner of God, it may affect your children. You know why? Because they're not going to be involved in some things other kids are involved in. And your priorities are going to be different. Cindy and I, several years ago, were wondering why some people we know in Texas didn't seem to want to be around us, especially during the holidays. And so we asked a third party who knew. Here's what he said. They just like to do things that maybe they're not comfortable doing around y'all. And I said, well, if they want to drink a glass of wine or have a beer at their house when we're there, we're not going to knock it out of their hands. (laughs) We're not. We're not offended by that. They're adults. And the person went on to say, they don't want to have a beer. They want to have a case of beer. They don't want to have a glass of wine. They want to have four bottles of wine. They don't want to party hardy with the preacher and his wife sitting there. And you know what? It made me sad, but it's not going to make me change who I am for Jesus. And I'm not trying to sound like a martyr. That's not suffering. But that's, that's suffering. That's the persecution we face. And the reason some of us aren't experiencing any pushback for our Christianity, we don't really have it, or it's really undercover. Wow. I want to challenge you to live for Christ, be a prisoner of Jesus. I want to share with you a great verse in Mark chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. Peter spoke up. Peter always speaks up, doesn't he? He says, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. We are your prisoner. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, home, brothers, sister, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Here's what Jesus said. You, you're going to have people push away from you when you follow me, but anything you lose, I will multiply it back a hundred times to you. That's a pretty good deal. And oh, by the way, when you die, you're going to heaven. You can't imagine how great that's going to be. You're going to face some hard times as you follow Jesus. Well, here's the third thing he says, and it doesn't get easier in this passage. Remember who you belong to. Know you're going to suffer persecution. Then he tells us, be completely humble. Be completely humble. Josh and I found a, a tombstone of a lady, true, true tombstone, you probably can't read it from where you are. Eleanor Stoffen Herman. She's still alive, at least at the time this was made. One errant female who has fun. The ornament of her generation. Beautiful, witty, brilliant, talented, eloquent, charming, frugal, and modest. Erected by myself. You'd have to say that's kind of funny. Not humble, but I think that woman was trying to be funny. 2,000 years ago, my guess is they didn't live in an age of humility and boy, we don't either. Look in verse 2. Be completely humble. If you're taking notes, the word completely means exactly what you think it means. It means absolutely, entirely humble. The word humble means lowly. 
Sometimes the, the best way to understand a word or a concept is to understand what's the opposite. So here's what humility is not. Prideful, arrogant, boasting. It's just the opposite of those things. And in Jesus' day, the, the concept of humility Listen, this is really important. It was for slaves and nobodies. It was a bad word. You didn't want to be humble until Jesus came along and Jesus said in Matthew 11, I am humble and lowly in my heart. Jesus elevated humility. And obviously the church in Ephesus needed to hear this like the church in Ruston must and like the Christians needed to hear it then like we need to. And if you're wanting to decide, if you want to sign on to Christianity, one of the things that makes it beautiful, it's a, it's a, it's a religion of humility. It's not devaluing yourself, it's understanding yourself properly. You're a creation of God, but you're the creation. God's the creator. You're very valuable. You and I are sinners. We, we push our ego to the side, and we're dependent on God, and we lift up other people. Someone said this about arrogance. It's, a, it's the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. I'm going to tell you a truth. If you're cocky and you're arrogant and you're a Christian, you're a contradiction. God says that if we follow him, what's needed, what will make us great is to push ourselves down and let God lift us up. What's needed in our church, what's needed in your family, men, what your wife needs from you is not some cocky husband. They need a humble husband. And it's what we need from our wives, humility. Listen to the next thing he says, be completely gentle. Be completely gentle in verse two, be completely humble and be gentle, absolutely, entirely gentle. The word gentle means meek or lowly again. Now, it's easy, and I want you to hear me, especially you men, to think, well, meek and gentle is weak. That's exactly what the word does not mean. The word here for gentleness or meekness means strength under control. It's somebody that could deal with you but has a gentle spirit about them. How many of you know the actor Bart the Bear? How many of you saw the movie The Great Outdoors with John Candy? That's the bear, the bald bear. Bart the Bear was a Kodiak bear. He is in heaven today. But Bart the Bear was nine foot five when he stood up on his back paws and 1,500 pounds. Bart the Bear could beat up every man in this church as we lined up to fight him and not even have sweat on his fur when the fight was over. Bart the bear could take your head off with one swipe of his paw, but he was trained, he was so gentle that kids could play with him. That's what meekness is, that's what gentleness is. And again, I find it interesting that he had to write it in a church, to a church, but he's writing to a church today, man, if you're a Christ follower, this should be naturally who you are, but he's telling us to strive for it. Don't be a bully. Don't be somebody who's so self-assertive that you've always got to have your way and get your way. Be a gentle person. 
Be somebody who is strong, but it's strength under control. That's not a sign that you're weak. That's a sign that you're a real man or a real woman. Be completely humble and be gentle is what the Lord tells us. Here's the fifth fifth thing. Be lovingly patient. Be lovingly patient. Be completely humble. Be completely gentle. Verse 2, and bearing with one another in love. The word patient there means long-suffering. We saw this in 1 Corinthians 13, and, and we all understand, I think, the, the picture of suffering long with someone that you, that you endure. And literally, he uses the word endure to, to bear with someone or something. It's primarily talking about our relationship with people. But it's interesting, this word was used by the Roman army and a concept of the Roman army that they, they were patient and enduring, that when they went to war, they might lose a battle they might lose part of a battle but they were their their picture was always long term we're in this to win it we're in it lose a battle we're going to win the war now God's not saying here that you should never discipline somebody or that you shouldn't fire somebody if they need to be fired God's not saying you shouldn't deal with issues but what he's saying when you deal with people you're not dealing with just numbers you're you're not dealing with pieces of equipment you're dealing with people creating the image of God And he's saying, I want you in the church house. I want you in the courthouse. I want you in the schoolhouse. I want you in your house to treat people with patient endurance. Treat them with patience and endurance. Have a long haul, long view picture of them. Patton Oswalt's a a famous actor. And he was asked in 2014, what book would you have a president of the United States read? 2014, so you'd already had in the tw- th- th- this century, you'd had Clinton at the first part of it, then you had George Bush, and then Obama was the president, President Obama was then. But it st- certainly would apply to, to, uh, to Trump, and I think to, to President Biden too, that he was said, I, he recommended a book about controlling your temper and rage. He goes, we live in a world of rage, political rage, social media rage, anger, impatience, frustration, always want to strike back. And he said, we, and this, I'm quoting him, we have not seen the great leader who will step in and bring peace and calm to us. And again, I don't think you can say Trump or Biden have done that either. I don't know if that's the book I would recommend first and foremost, but you know what? I think he's on to something. The great leaders of their home and their church and their community are people who endure with other people. And he gives one last thing here, and that's this. Be a unifier. Be a unifier. In verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Literally that, make every effort, that phrase is a, a verbal phrase and it's in the present tense. He's saying, I want you to constantly, zealously care, make an effort, literally, ironically, fight for your unity. The word unity means oneness. Look in verse four through six. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope and you were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's kind of a tongue tire. Seven times in those four through six, he uses the word one. I wonder what he's talking about in the church there that they so desperately needed to hear, stop it and get along. Now, I'm going to talk about this in a few weeks when we talk about the cross. But here, you've got this first church. 
In Ephesus, maybe you had two or three churches. You didn't have many. Ruston, we have 94 churches, right? And, and you can go to the church of your flavor. If you want to be with a certain social type, you can go to this church, certain type that church. You want to be with people who like the square dance, you go here. You go to contemporary here, traditional here. We do both, so we're mixed up. They didn't have that. You follow Christ, and you were a Jewish person who followed Christ. You went to this church, and if you were a non-Jew, and those people hated each other before Christ and probably were still having issues. If you were poor or rich, you went to the same church. If you were a slave or a slave owner, you went to the same church. So there may have been some pretty natural tensions in there, and he's telling them, goodness gracious, get along. Be one. You don't have multiple Jesuses. You have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Holy Spirit, one God the Father, one hope. Be one. I think he kind of meant it, didn't he? Now, is there ever a time that a church should make hard decisions? Absolutely. In the northeastern part of our country, back in the early 2000s, a denomination made a decision that they were going to ordain an openly gay pastor. And when one of the leaders of the denominations was asked about this, here's what he said. We will choose heresy or false teaching over disunity. I want to tell you, that's wrong. What does our church believe about sexuality? We believe that sex is for a man and a woman in marriage. So that rules out premarital sex. That rules out adultery. That rules out homosexuality. You go, well, I don't like that. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it says. And we can't pull stuff out of the Bible or erase it because I don't like it or you don't like it so we can all get along. At some point, there are times when you have to say, we, we have to split if it means compromising God, okay? Sometimes you have a pastor or a minister that goes crazy. You try to help them. You try to bless them. If they're going to continue to go crazy, you have to remove them. Well, we don't want to do that. That would be bad. Listen, before you get excited about that, sometimes you have church members that go crazy. <laughs> Amen, Josh? And, and so you love them and you try to help them, but then eventually you have to say, we're going to help you go join another church here in Ruston where you'll be happy. And you're going, well, that's me. Well, they do it to us. I mean, so it's kind of a flip, right? So it's not unity at the compromise of what's right, but it's the unity instead of fighting over silly stuff. This truly happened in Utah several years ago. A man was arrested after church. He hit another church member and hit him with his car in the parking lot. Now, what'd that guy do to him? Did he find out he was having an affair with his wife? He steal his billfold? It was over a, play, a space in the pew. Can I tell you something? That ain't your pew you're sitting in. Somebody say amen. amen. Hey, you see, my wife sits there and where Josh, those are my two pews. That's where I sit on Sunday morning. I will sit on the piano bench. I will sit on the floor. I don't own those pews and I have a key to the building. The whole point is, is you don't split and fight over silly stuff. 
You've got to be one. You're, the witness of Christ is, is, is at paramount there. But it moves beyond the church. So this will be good for all of us. Adrian Rogers was a, a pastor in Memphis, Tennessee. And Adrian said about Scripture, he goes, Scripture has one basic meaning or interpretation, but a thousand applications. And I believe that's true. So here's how unity applies outside the church. Man, you, you need to be a unifier in your family. You need to be a unifier at your workplace. Nothing is worse than working somewhere where people are always at each other. Be a unifier. Be a unifier in the community. I believe the next great leader of our country will be someone that can bring us together, if that's possible. A unifier. Man, God loves unity. I think God hates disunity and discord. But God loves unity. Be a unifier. I want to share with you something that is written on a tombstone. The tomb is in Westminster Abbey in, in London. Now, if you've ever heard about these places, some of these ancient churches have people buried in them. Isn't that kind of creepy? Somebody say amen. That's kind of creepy. I mean, like, I die, so Cindy has me buried over there next to Bill Roundtree where he sits. And, you know, every, every Sunday you have to walk by and kind of, ugh, you know, Chris is there. That'd be kind of, kind of weird to me, but that's, that's normal there. So uh, on his tombstone, this was an Anglican bishop from the 11th century. So he's been there a long time. When I was young and free, my imagination had no limits. I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change. So I shortened my sights somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew in my twilight years, in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family. Those closest to me, but alas, they would have none of it. And now as I lay on my deathbed, I suddenly realized if I had only changed myself, then by example, I would have changed my family. And from their inspiration and encouragement, I would have then have been able to better change my country. And who knows, maybe even the world, if I would only changed myself. Wow. Only person, by the way, you have any control over ultimately is you. So here's what I want to throw at you. If you're not a Christian today or you don't know if you're a Christian, the greatest thing you can do is give your life to Christ. If you're in this building, you can come in just a moment. We'll help you do that. We'll talk to you after church. If you're watching online or you're you, you, just where you'll be standing in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a minute to give your life to Christ if you'd like to do that. You need to do that today. Maybe you're looking for a church to join. We would love to have you join today. You can do that after church. You can do it online or when we stand in a moment, you can come. Here's my only caveat. I just say we're looking for people to bring us together and unifiers. That's you. You come and join us. You're a Christian. I know many of you are doing well with these things. Keep it up. Maybe you're not doing so well. Maybe where you're standing or at home or here at the, the front, you need to get on your knees and say to God, God, help me to be who you've called me to be. God, change my life so I can influence my world. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you. Lord, I come. I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. 
And without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Every hour I need you My one defense My righteousness Oh God, how I need you I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, please Again, if you are a Christ follower today, man, ask God to help you live these things out. Let God change your life as you do the things that He's asking you to do and that will change your life. If you're not sure if you're a Christian, maybe you're sure you're not today, but you're ready to give your life to Christ. Pray with me this morning. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I accept your God's Son and that you died and rose for me. Come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I surrender.